0: Welcome back to Now, the podcast celebrating a variously compiled world of pop. In each episode, a variety of fabulous guests and I explore favourite compilation albums, as well as considering how these collections shaped pop culture and now fondly stand as time captures for our own musical and life milestones. I hope that you will enjoy the pop memories in this episode. Please follow the show through your favourite podcast provider and join in with me, Ian, on the Pop Rambler Twitter, Facebook and Instagram pages. Joining me for this episode is Andrew Harrison. Andrew has spent a lifetime in pop journalism, starring in many glittering roles. He was the editor of Select in its glory days when they invented Britpop, And he then went to be the editor of Detail, or the music editor, sorry, of Details in New York, just in time to miss Britpop's moment of triumph. Subsequently, Andrew became the only person to edit both Q and Mixmag twice and was part of the founding team at The Word, experiencing 10 fun-filled, fantastic years alongside Mark Ellen, David Hepworth, Jude Rogers, Kate Mossman, and the cream of pop journalising. Andrew has interviewed Madonna, Morrissey in his house in LA, Bono in a fountain and Stephen Fry in a bad mood. He also invented the phrase landfill indie, and perhaps more of that later. Since 2015, Andrew has been podcasting building the Podmasters into a profitable mini-empire and has just had the UK's number one podcast with their new release, Origin Story. And last, but by no means least, Andrew lists just a few of his interests as Liverpool FC, comics, 2000 AD readers since Prague 1 in 1977, that must mean something to somebody, and trying to organise a 68,000-song Apple Music Library. Andrew, welcome
1: back to Now. Oh, delighted to be here. Thank, thank you for being a lovely hype man there. But yeah, mentioning the 68,000 song apple library, it just crashed this morning. <laughs> <laughs> My is sitting there moving, reattaching various links uh, by hand, one by one, 68,000 of them. The long summer nights will just fly by. Remember those like
0: MP3s? Remember in the old days when we just did MP3s and made a library of music? It's wonderful.
1: That's what I've got. I haven't gone to streaming yet. So I'll stick with it. <laughs> MP3 is the new vinyl. (laughs) Pretty soon, like oh, I'm I'm over cassettes. I'm going to go to this little-known format. The iPod has just been—has it now been officially retired? I think it has. The last iPod has finally gone to the uh, the reclamation centre in the sky, and I'm very sad about it because I think it's a—it was a fantastic machine because it allowed you to listen to music without being constantly interrupted by tweets, (laughs) WhatsApps, Snapchats, Facebook updates, people texting you about what's for dinner and things like that. It was just—it was a walled garden of pop music, and I think we'll miss it. Let's talk Podmasters, first of all. Now, you describe your mission as to provide exciting, entertaining,
0: informative, character-driven podcasts that go where conventional radio can't. In this kind of post-lockdown world, why do you think podcasts are still resonating with so many listeners?
1: Because I think the idea that it was to do with lockdown and privacy was a bit of a bit of an error. What podcasts are really about? And you know this, because your podcast is a fantastically successful thing, which covers a, a niche that by rights ought to be small, but because people are so absolutely fascinated and animated by it, they want to listen to it. Podcasts are an incredibly intimate medium. They're right in your ear. It's not like radio, which you turn the radio on in the kitchen and then you wander off and make a cup of tea or just go and play with the cat. Yet They're, they're low engagement things, and in fact that you know most radios constructed in kind of five minute bursts because they're terrified they'll lose your attention podcasts they're not built like that at all. Nobody ever listens to a podcast by mistake. You make a, a you make a decision that you're going to listen to it, you jam your earpods right deep in your ear and you go off for a long walk or you start making the dinner and you really pay attention. It's completely different from radio. Just because it's audio doesn't make it radio. So I don't only think people are sticking with it after um, after lockdown. I think it is the future of audio. I think linear radio will fade to the side in the, in the same way, you know, who sits down and turns on BBC One now and goes, <laughs> I think I'll just watch whatever they show me you <laughs> sit down you make an active decision don't you you go tonight I'm going to watch you know Squid Game or I'm going to watch Severance or I'm going to watch you know Shining Girls or, or something of, you make a, an active decision because we're all connoisseurs now and it's exactly the same with audio why would you listen to some annoying local radio guy getting on your nerves when you could listen to a lovely podcast like this yes and I
0: will fully validate all good niche podcasts <laughs> very very much so because you've got quite a broad range on the old Podmaster
1: platform haven't you well yeah I mean we started out making a podcast called Big Mouth which is just basic pop culture for you know the, for, the, for the cognoscente you know it was like what if Radio 4's front row didn't ha- have to have all the vaguely kind of eat your green stuff about you know <laughs> avant-garde poetry in the Hebrides one of it could be about the things that we really care about which goes Marvel movies and pop records and good things on TV and that kind of stuff. and we, from that we grew up we launched uh, Romaniacs because we were all being driven insane by Brexit um, and we thought we've got to vent that energy somewhere and that showed us that you can actually do podcasts that don't have to to observe the kind of balance that standard radio does we could we could say what we really thought this is an insane course of action for the country and tens of thousands of people agree with us and the, the thing took off incredibly quickly Dorian Linsky who a lot of your listeners will know because he writes he's written about pop for Mixmag and, and Q and Select and the, now the Guardian presenter of Remain Next which is now called Oh God What Now because we had to change the name because you can't remain in the EU because we're out of it so uh, Oh God What Now is the constant refrain and we've got lots of other kind of uh, pop veterans like Sean Pattenden involved as well and uh, Justin Quirk as well I believe you've had on this podcast so you know it was like let's look at politics the way we'd look at the world of popular culture and it means you can look at bizarre and freakish characters like Maurice Monk or Nadine Dorries the way almost in the way that smash hits would look at the freakish pop stars of the 1980s (laughs) That's actually quite an interesting comparison, actually,
0: because you know we were all at that stage of complete irreverence with Smash Hits, and we
1: still need that now as uh, as adults and slightly older adults in our lives. I've always thought that Smash Hits was the platonic ideal of what a magazine ought to be. It was it's never been done any better, and any other successful magazine has only just been a variant on Smash Hits. Yeah, you know. At its best, MixMag was the smash hits of Rave and Q was smash hits for grown-ups. As we can all remember Tom Hibbert in, yeah. you know, writing Who the Hell in Q magazine. Tom had been a mainstay of, of smash hits for Donkey's years, bringing yeah. all this mad uh, PG Woodhouse language to basically a bunch of school kids who wanted to know the song lyrics. But you could expand <laughs> people's palette, couldn't you? And, you? and, you know, before long you had everybody in the country using inverted commas around things and referring to Paul Young with inverted commas around him. I make sure it- Justin Quirk and Shan Pattinson guests of
0: this show. Totally reverence that comes to mind. Sean's reminding us about the Rebel MC's dental habits. Justin telling us all about glam metal. And these are the things that we need to know. These are the things that dreams are made of. So, anyway, Andrew, thank you so much. You have joined us for the Back to Now podcast. For any new listeners, the premise is we pick a now compilation album, other compilation albums are available but they're never as good and we basically have a bit of a deep dive through it. We're going to come to your choice shortly but before we do that we always like to ask guests just a bit about growing up and what early music memories you have and
1: uh, what was your first listening choices? I was kind of, I got the bug with Slade and The Suite, and it has to be admitted Gary Glitter as well, because these were just fabulously exciting things. I remember sort of discovering Top of the Pops in the early 70s, and one of my earliest memories of pop was Brian Connolly from The Suite snapping a microphone stander over his knee during, I think, it might have been a Rampage or possibly Ballroom Blitz on Top of the Pops, and I'd never seen anything like it in my life. And my first thought was, how expensive is that mic? I <laughs> <laughs> I cannot believe this is happening. How is this allowed? Um, I can, you know, obviously can clearly remember Noddy in the famous mirrored hat. Uh, apparently, as a very, very little kid, one of my party pieces was to, was to jump off the fireplace shouting, come alive, in the Susie Quattro style. So, you know, we're always in the grip of the very first thing that we loved. And that's basically what I like about pop music. It has to be exciting. It has to be euphoric. It has to take you. It, take it, out of yourself I don't have an awful lot of time for guys with acoustic guitars moaning about how the girlfriends left them I like bangers and I've always liked bangers and I was cooking the tea last night and Teenage Rampage came on the little iPod thing and I, thought, I don't think, still don't think I've ever heard anything as exciting as Teenage Rampage it like, you know, begins with we want the sweet we want the sweet and then just gets crazier and crazier and crazier. If it came out now, it would be banned.
0: Yeah, it would. I'm just thinking, kind of from that point of view then, obviously compilation albums absolutely lend themselves to the concept of the banger, because it's usually banger after banger. Compilations it's- feature in
1: your, in your life growing up? I'm trying to think, um, you know, to be honest with you... Actually, not to a great degree, because I was an inveterate uh, recorder off the radio. Yeah. By holding, like, a grunting tape recorder up to the radio and pressing pause and release and shushing everybody in the room, right, we, of course, would take great joy in coughing or farting or <laughs> shouting at each other, like, shut up, shut up, I'm trying to take madness, shut up, shut up, or the dog would bark. Uh, and now, of course, I, you know, those tapes, I still have a few of them. I actually love the bits where somebody's trying to ruin the recording or the dog's barking, because yeah. they take you back. So I actually wasn't really a massive compilations person. I just used to make a lot of tapes for myself. I actually only really got into compilations... Round the house music era, which we roughly tread on the toes of in, 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 the, in the edition of Now that we're going to talk about today. The very first record I got is Sladest by Slade, yeah. Um, which, again, it's, it basically is a compilation. It's just banger yeah. after banger and a few, a few little, little deep cuts for the heads, uh, like Pook Hill and uh, The Shape of Things to Come. But it was, a, you know again, a, just a pure blast of excitement. And I think the next record I purchased with my own money was The Amazing Darts by Darts. Mm-hmm on k Records, which again was a compilation. It's just a compilation yeah. by one man. So yeah. in that respect, yes, they did. Yeah. It's just the multi-artist compilation, not so much.
0: Yeah, but it's just it's kind of celebrating that kind of K-Tel culture which, you know, that that was absolutely my first experience of those compilations
1: yeah. as well. Yeah. I'll tell you one one that was quite big. One, this is a bit later on when I was at school. Um, do you remember there was, a, there was a new romantic compilation called Modern Dance? Oh, this uh, album and, comes up so often with, uh, with guests. You know what was great about it? Girls had it. And ah. if you had a copy, then you could talk to them. I think, was it in the brief era when they would put out two companion volumes at the same time? Mm. And sometimes you'd be able to buy the two at the same same cost. But I remember going to several parties where Modern Dance, which had a fantastic kind of airbrushed cover, was basically the entire playlist. Yeah. And I... You know, I can't quite remember the full track list, but I'm convinced that it had Love Action on it and probably Japan and probably Visage. I mean, I was, you know, under no circumstances was I dressing the part here, but I was certainly like, <laughs> something unusual was going on here.
0: My first comp was at 81, which probably around about the same time, but they were very, very closely said to the songs, and I, yeah. th- I think that's something people remember.
1: Almost as if a DJ had mixed them. Exactly. This was also the era of the um, ridiculous cash-in title, like Raiders of the Lost Chart. Yes, (laughs) you just (laughs) find anything and just put chart in it. You know, if it wasn't that,
0: there was an awful lot of power and smashing and slightly aggressive titles, forcing you to kind of collect hits. Yes,
1: days when uh, days when the music business was the music business and it knew knew what it was doing.
0: Now fourteen. Legendary Roy Orbison,
1: Eraser, yes, Bill Collins, want, and the number ones from Simple Minds, Mark Holland and Gene Pitney. 32 top chart hits brought together
0: on one great double album. Now that's what I call music. For- Let's go to the spring
1: of 1989. What was life like for you? Well, I've chosen Now 14, which was released on the 20th of March 1989, and I've chosen it because it was it was the last one available in the vague time period that I wanted to do. <laughs> Ones that would have been really more me were, were um, uh, 11, 12 and 13, because they were the golden era of the pop dance hits uh, that when, when house music and hip-hop were all sort of falling into the blender and pop was just incredibly promiscuous. And you were here in S-Express and, you, you know, Bomb the... Base and and uh, that's very much my that's my mm. wheelhouse. And in 1989, I'm I'm a student in Leeds, right? I've gone to Leeds University because they've got the best student paper, and I want to be a journalist. They've got the Leeds student paper. And in 1989, I think I've actually become the editor of the paper. I was I had a year off to edit the student paper, where we had a raft of quality editorial talent. I mean, Jay Rayner had been my predecessor, mm. and also on the staff was, um, but at the same time as me, um, was Andy Pemberton, who also went on to edit Q magazine. Yeah. So um, there was one instance where a certain pop band, who I I will not name, uh, me and Andy interviewed them and they were so high handed and snotty. They were very medium level band. And I often think back if they'd known that that both of them were going to be the editors of Q magazine. And one of them, Pemba was going to go off to America and edit Blender, which was like a version of Key magazine that sold ten times as many copies in America. And I would go on and edit these indie magazines. They might have been a bit nicer to us because we would certainly have done them favors, but they were such a bunch of dicks that um, it was one of those things. That, like, yeah, maybe they don't get a lead review on this page. Vindictive me? No, not at all. So there was a lot of kind of interesting people there, and it was kind of this is so we're in the spring of 1989. The, the grand flurry of um, acid. The house has kind of faded but it's kind of house music is still in the air and bands are still nicking from it and and, and, and borrowing from it I'm looking at the track listing of 13 the one I'm not doing track 1 on 13 The Only Way Is Up Yaz and the Plastic Population still a banger track 3 A Little Respect by Erasure Will Fill Any Dance Floor You Can Think Of loads of stuff that um, you know God Almighty Tom Jones doing Kiss I think I'd wipe that out of my memory Don't Make Me Wait by Bomb the Bass this is all and this is the one I didn't do obviously We Rule the Wee Papa Girl Rappers it is a fantastic period of time The Race by Yellow Big Fun by Inner City we call it as by Mob, That's why I wanted to do 13, but it would already gone, so I had to do 14.
0: I'm just going to jump in here and do a complete sales pitch to say, Pete Perfides, this is you we're talking about.
1: But he Perfides got it, did he? (laughs) And Jude Rogers got 12. (laughs) Thanks for the pair of you. That's great, but but it's still a load of good stuff on here, as as well as, as you know, a fair Bit of tripe because it's it's what was popular. It's not what's critically acclaimed. There's loads of good stuff on there. There's loads of stuff that's just a massive hit. So yeah, so so I am. Um, it's the spring. It's you know it's coming to the end of uh, winter, 1989. Um, I'm about to finish editing the paper and go back to finish my politics degree. And Leeds was just a fantastic going out city from Monday to Saturday. I think I only I only stayed in on Sunday nights and sometimes not then either because you could go and see Nightmares on Wax would be DJing at, uh, it was a 70s night. Uh, the guys from Utah Saints had a an electronic body music kind of Belgian pipe-banging night somewhere in town called The Microwave. And I always remember that they plastered town with posters for The Microwave, including, you know, the ch- p- pictures that you see outside churches, posters outside churches. Yeah. But say, uh, you know, I've got an improving text from our Lord. And they'd stuck a poster. That, uh, it, it, this poster said, Heaven is a mansion. Jesus is the doorway. And they'd stuck a poster over it and it said, Heaven is a mansion. Jesus is the microwave. Which I thought was <laughs> (laughs) Actually, very full of Jesus because, in a sense, he is, isn't he? Helping us, just heating us up through life, yeah. Yes, make us feel not hungry and things like that. So, anyway, yes, yeah, so you could be out every night of the week. It was like three acid house nights on, three garage nights. If you wanted, you know, indie indie pop everywhere, the warehouse. And if you wanted to go and rub shoulders with um, Leeds United footballers in a hitman and hair style, you could go to Mr. Craig's, where it was definitely Tash's Perms, nobody in without a jacket. We tried to get in one night and um, uh, coming out where 808 stays, <laughs> who'd uh, gone in. So, that it was crap and then decided to go somewhere else (laughs) Um, so it was good fun and you'd, you'd see various members of Age of Chance knocking around and the wedding present the glamour
0: yeah In some ways You've almost described this album Because it's All
1: points are covered In, in a Leeds night out Basically It is yeah. It is a quite, it's quite it's a Leeds album When you think about it Yeah because As well as some High quality stuff There's also some Terribly corny rubbish here um, That would get played Very very late on Yeah We'll go through the tracks um, Shortly won't we But You could pretty much Play this in sequence And satisfy most people Yes oh,
0: Yeah and, and it is the beauty Of these now albums Is that As you say It's the democracy Of the UK charts I mean this This is a snapshot of what was there Yes, it's democracy And we all know the problems of democracy Yes, indeed Some very good political podcasts Can indulge that for you as well So, let's go for it So, record one, side one We have got a 60s throwback Something's gotten a hold of my heart Mark Armand featuring Gene Pitney Well,
1: according to the website It's ampersand Gene Pitney So you could have a big row about that, couldn't you? (laughs) it's it's a great opener and it, it is a great version and there was a, a there was a, a documentary recently um, where Mark Arman talked about how touched Gene Pitney was to, because mm. he kind of resurrected him a little bit. This was the era of you know Happy Mondays uh, resurrecting. God, who was it for Lazy Eyes? Um, um, it was Carl Denver, oh, wasn't it? Yeah, and in a way, I think it had been triggered a little bit by Tom Jones coming back from the pop dead mm. when uh, Arthur Noise dug, dug him up to do uh, Kiss, and uh, he, never, he never looked back. Um, it's not just a throwback in terms of a song, but it's a throwback in what pop music is because. You know, certainly when I was growing up in the 70s, you expected the charts to have quite a lot of these very glossy, very kind of string driven, very beautiful things that your nan might like. And of course now we don't even expect your nan to have every concept of the charts because the charts got <laughs> – I've got none myself either, you know. and um, In fact, I'm now older than my nan would have been at the time. Um, but, you know, those days when the charts would have a, 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 a fair bit of kind of straight down the line country in there mm. and a novelty song. For little kids And a kind of novelty song For like pissed office workers You know Rather than the kind of Much more kind of monoculture That we we subsequently have I was surprised How much I liked That particular
0: track Now always liked A big kick-off track At the beginning You know The kind of record one Side one And it does that And I mean This was number one For a month Which you know Is a fantastic Tribute to it (laughs) What is interesting You know Talk about age I remember watching this On Top of the Pops at the time Gene Pitney was 48 (laughs) He was oh, 40, eggs, he was 48 go. when this was recorded Mark Hammond 31 yeah. I'm sure there's a clip of like a white tuxedo And a bow tie And he looks a bit like um, Dave Spikey In um, Phoenix
1: Nights. Oddly enough, we just had on, on the podcast, we just had uh, the great beer writer, Pete Brown, talking about how the Working Man's Club never really gets its due. It's always treated as this kind of joke, often by sort of southern cultural gatekeepers. But actually, the Working Man's Club was a bear pit. You had to be able to deliver and perform. If you couldn't sing, you get bottled off. If your jokes are crap, you get bottled off. And I think that's something that Mark Almond is quite attuned to. Big yeah. Southport, who, who then went to Leeds, of course, where Soft Cells formed in the poly. So basically, I was listening to this record in the basement of the building where upstairs uh, Mark Armand and Dave Ball had, had sort of, you know, six or seven years ago been creating Soft Cell. So we move on and we have
0: um, Mr. Phil Collins and Two Hearts. Again, another 60s throwback here. Yeah,
1: I, this, I'd completely forgotten about this. This is this. Mm. I. I you know, I, I replayed. I have no memory of this whatsoever. I mean, it is the more likable end of Phil Collins, isn't it? You know, his yeah. his, uh, his Buster era era, um, sixties pasticheism. It's surprising to me the way. Yeah, because he was loathed at the time. He really mm. was by the cognoscente. And and now the cognoscente seem to really like him. Um, they, uh, maybe it's just to do with age or maybe it's just to do with the, the kind of torch passing from one group of opinion leaders who decided they really hated Genesis and would hate anything to do with Genesis forever to a bunch of people who just basically remember the mega drums done in the air tonight. So, yeah, but, I mean, I, I have to confess that has not made any much any much of an impression on me.
0: Produced by Lament Dozier. It's got that kind of Motown sound to it. Tony Blackburn's yeah. the video as well.
1: Is it? It's produced by actual Lamont Dozier real what The real yeah, one
0: Yep, produced by Phil Collins and Lamont Dozier So it is it is that big kind of Motown sound going on
1: Incredible Well, yeah, yeah well, it's, uh, you know, a facsimile But it hadn't really made much of an impression on me <laughs> Track three, though, Stopped by Erasure More My oh, Cup of Tea Oh, fabulous, you know, absolutely fabulous Yeah, again, look, there's, you know, a banger And um, again, I, 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 you would not have thought in 1989 That Erasure would be a going concern in the year 2022 I know distant future and yet they are you know and stop is a is a you know i don't think it's first rank but it's good sort of you know it's in the european placings it's i was going to say that
0: it's maybe sitting third or fourth yeah, <laughs> champions yeah, league yeah. positions think- um do you know interestingly we had Shan Shan Patton on and we looked at now 16 and we were talking about the song drama which i also think is a bit of a banger as yeah. well but Shan was asking what it was about erasure. She was basically saying she's never really fully got Erasure. There's something about Erasure that's always worked, but I, I don't know what it is. Join in the debate, Andrew. <laughs> what is
1: it? Well, I don't know. I mean, Erasure promise a good, flamboyant, good time, don't they? Yeah, um, yeah. You know, they are a, you know, an, an exceptionally likable frontman. I mean, I think one of the maybe one of the issues is that the songs perhaps don't have a focus in the way that I'm going to say it the Pet Shop Boys have Mm. a focus in that you you instantly know what every single song is about and what it's trying to say you're all prepped for it before you listen to it whereas erasure songs tend to be a little bit more diffuse shall we say and I think it's because Neil is such an incredible lyricist that his thoughts and his insights can get across to anybody of any background uh, of any age and erasure is perhaps more limited to you know year clubbing largely gay audience but that said that's the narcissism of small differences isn't it because erasure are pretty great
0: yep and still very very much an ongoing concern as well number one in Denmark yeah. and Argentina worth mentioning what can I
1: say <laughs>
0: okay track four uh, this is Rama and Lana Nini Nunu which is basically French and Saunders and Kathy Burke doing help yeah in the days when you could license a Beatles track
1: Yes, um, this is an absolute stinker. This is terrible. It's It's, a, it is, it's a charity record, and people often insulate themselves <laughs> by going, "Well, it's a charity. Record. This is terrible." Um, it's 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 the worst aspect of French and Saunders, and I got to say, it's pretty much the only Bananarama record I, I I physically can't stand. But you know, probably made quite a lot of money for charity. This is the time when um, you know we're, this is the beginning of the the glory days of the the telethon and uh, mm-hmm. comic relief, um, and also the beginning of like mandated fun you must enjoy this, which of yeah. course made me not want to enjoy it. No, the thing
0: about the comic relief songs, and they pop up right across all the nows through the year, they are incredibly yeah. dated snapshots because they've usually got comic references of the minute, which within yeah. 20 minutes are out of date.
1: Who the hell is this? Yes, that's <laughs> what you mean.
0: So there we go. Yeah, made a lot for charity. But it's worth, as we're going through the album, Stock Egan Waterman. Yeah. There's not very much Stock Egan and Waterman across this album, which is amazing when you think that basically they were ruling the charts at this point.
1: Well, I'd, had they slightly fallen
0: off at this point, though? I, I think, think excitement-wise they'd slipped off, but mm. chart-wise they were still everywhere.
1: I think this is the time where they, they, they just started to slightly slip and we were uh, about to experience Serious Kylie. We were out to experience mm. Sex Kylie. Shocked was, was... When does Shocked come out? Is that like 1991
0: or 1990? Yeah, that is 91, I think, yeah. Well, I think we're down to the Reynolds Girls, aren't we, by now? And, yeah, uh, it's it's I, kind of... It's kind of Jason's starting to hit the mark um, and Reynolds Girls. You've got that brilliant Donna Summer track, but that went to the Hits album, so we don't talk about that.
1: We're, at, we're around to sort of Sonya as well, aren't we? At yes, era. yeah. So it's starting to lack it a little bit.
0: Track five mm-hmm. is Hue and Cry. A band, a that divides a nation.
1: Well, you know what? You uh, you can see me doing this on uh, on Zoom, which the listeners can't. Say I'm having to cheat by putting a headphone in one ear to remind myself of what this <laughs> sounds like. Because again, this—I mean, poor old Human Cry, once described by Q, not under my watch as the worst band there had ever been in the oh, history of pop. That's a bit harsh. It is a bit harsh. But I'm kind of listening to it now, and there's that kind of roundabout. This is, to me, the sound of 1989, not the best sound. It's like what bands like Danny Wilson sounded like. Very manicured synthesizers, uh, a kind of blue-eyed soul aesthetic, a little bit of Steely Dan on the go, and largely massively forgettable. Yes. To me, this is the sound of the 99p three-inch CD in the cheapy box. <laughs> oh, yes. Because, you know, the cheapy box are just, and three-inch CDs had arrived. And I'm, I, I'm looking at, because Spotify brings you up the cover, and I'm looking at it and thinking, I remember flicking past this in the cheapy box, I swear to God. Yeah. It's got a load of, is it St. Clavius, those kind of fake oh, bells or DX7s? It's, or it's it.
0: just very, very. This reminds me, and I'm, I'm going to celebrate those wonderful 1989 days of Q magazine. This would have been a two-star review, and the words
1: above it would be lacklustre. It would have been lacklustre, yes. I think you're absolutely right there. Um, <laughs> but let's pass on.
0: Let's pass on, and let's go to Yaz. So we'd had The Only Way is up on Now 13, but we're not bitter about that. Pete We won't talk about that. Here we are, and we've got fine time. Um, this is nice. It's the
1: obligatory reggae track. Yeah. Um, it's not great. Um, yeah. Again, I mean, I think artists always think they need variety, they don't. What she should have done is just kept making the only ways up for ten years <laughs> and she would have been vast. Um, I am mildly pleasantly surprised how good her voice is because I'd just thought of her as a belter, but there's a little bit of kind of um there's subtlety and there's grain to it. This is nobody's favourite Yaz tune, though, is it? No,
0: you're not gonna you're not gonna get this pulled up very often, to be honest. Quite surprising how short a career Yaz actually had. I mean, if you go from Doctor in the House up yes. to I think in the middle of mid-1990s She had a track called Treat Me Good And then it's kind of
1: Dumperville from there on in And it's such a shame Because she's got a wonderful, wonderful voice But when I saw Fine Time I thought, oh my god, it's New Order And then I realised that was like a year beforehand so, Yeah, yeah. It,
0: it has got track six, side one written all over it <laughs> It's just that
1: oh, Yes We've got Kim Wilde Kim had, had a good mm-hmm. year Good couple of years actually Four letter words Yeah I mean, again This is not one that made a massive impression on me Loads more St. again Loads more of those DX7 bells It sounds like it's grasping for America And I don't know whether she got anywhere with that I think the only big, big hit she had Was
0: Keep Me Hanging On But um, no, it's interesting you talk about America though Because it was co-produced Obviously Ricky Wilde Because Ricky Wilde produces pretty much everything Kim Wilde does But it's co-produced
1: by Tony Swain As in Jolly oh, and yeah, uh, right. but it doesn't sound like it. No, it doesn't. It doesn't have that kind of Spandau Ballet Onwards, Swain and Jolly, panorama vibe. No. It has got a very good melody. It's very hooky. I can imagine them as they snap their Kit Kats in the A&R meeting going, <laughs> it's a hit. Um, and again, nobody's favourite Kim Wilde record, but yeah. amiable. Who doesn't love Kim Wilde?
0: Everybody loves Kim oh, Wilde, uh, but um, I'm loving okay. this. That's just lackluster and amiable. <laughs>
1: Two things. When Q just had, they just had a list of adjectives for the headlines, which is a brilliant idea. The lead album movies would just have an adjective and it meant you didn't have to sit there wasting hours and hours trying to think of a witty headline. And they kept a database of adjectives that had been used and you were never allowed to use the same one again. So, you know, by the time Q had got huge, they were using headlines like hubristic, (laughs) and vainglorious, humongous and things like this, because good, and exciting. And, yeah. I've uh, been
0: well, done. Lackluster was our keyword, pardon the pun, within our group for
1: many, many years afterwards. Basically, anything that was yeah. just a bit crap was lackluster. Well, that, that appears in the worst pop lyric of all time, which is Elvis Costello, I believe, saying, You lack lust, you're so lackluster. I mean, <laughs>
0: come on. That's pretty poor, isn't it? Yeah. So we had Erasure doing stop, and we've got Sam Brown doing stop. But there's a missing exclamation yeah. mark, just in case you get confused.
1: Yes, well this this is um, a Sam, this is a Sam Brown banger, isn't it? Yeah. This is this is probably a lot of people's favourite Sam Brown record. Yes. in the sense of like, can you name another Sam Brown record? Well, I'm struggling to be honest. Top of the charts in Iceland and Norway. What does that say? I can see it fitting the Icelandic and Norwegian mindset. It sounds like fjords, doesn't it? Although it also somehow sounds like the Mississippi Delta. Yes. So it's it is exceptionally soulful. This is her great moment, isn't it, this one? It's, it's Yeah,
0: it's great. It really is. And I think back to the video. It was a proper iconic video. She looked fabulous in it. It, it was one of those great big pop ballad moments.
1: Yeah, and it also... We're kind of, in 1989, we're sort of coming to the end of everybody having four female singers behind them doing synchronised arm actions, aren't we? Yeah. We're coming to the, the pop is about to downsize violently with the arrival of Rave because guys who play bongos in videos are all about to get their P45s. And rows of four, uh, I believe Smash Hits would have called them foxtresses. They're also about to get their cards and shows will get an awful lot smaller. And within a year, by the end of 1990, it's like Radamski, one guy on a keyboard and um, somebody throwing shapes and the producers of Top of the Pops desperately finding somebody who ought to have been in Pam's people, shoving her on stage in some rave outfits because bands were just not big enough. Whereas Sam, I, 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 my vivid memory of this particular tune is Sam and an awful lot of musicians, an awful lot of backing vocalists. Yeah, yeah. But effectively, you know, quite rightly, re inhabiting the soul review kind of aesthetic.
0: Yeah. It is, when you look across this album, it is the end of something, beginning of something else. You can see the it clues is. across the album. The cusp. It, it cusp. it is cuspy. Now 14 is it's very, very cuspy. Very cuspy. <laughs> Record One Side Two
1: You Got It uh, by Roy Orbison. I've got to say, I have always loved this song. I absolutely love it, and it's not my kind of thing. It's pretty light on drum machines and acid house noises, or even Trevor Horn orchestral stamps, although I would have loved to have heard the Big O doing that. I mean, I'm a huge, huge Roy Orbison fan. His voice is like nothing on earth. Roy Orbison is on my record shelf between the orb and orbital, which is the right place, because they are all transcendental, unimaginable music. Experience. Nobody sings like Roy Orbison. They just don't, and they just can't. And again, this is like well, here's this old stager being dragged out of you know for one last run round the paddock. Was he like fifty-one? Yeah, something. Yeah, I mean that's dead pretty quickly afterwards. I remember he didn't last much longer. And it was it was a shame because there
0: was the there was the Wilbury stuff was all kind of happening and it, and again it was that kind of reinvigoration.
1: But it's a great track. It's, it is a great track. Is it a Jeff Lynne job? I think it is, isn't it?
0: Oh, it's got Jeff Lynne all over it, yeah.
1: And these are uh, you know this we're at the end of the eighties and thwacky drums are about to also to get their P forty fives, but this such actually operates well on the thwacky drum level yeah. it's got grandeur to it it's got timpani how often do you get timpani <laughs> and as an example of how much this record reaches out my good mate steve who was the graphic designer on the student paper at the time 1989 um, and went on to work in advertising and design magazines all the rest of it he lives in new york now and um, his son callum He's probably about 14 now. But when Callum was like 5 or 6, his favourite record was Roy Orbison Black and White Night thing. Mm. He loved the video as well. Loved this tune. So it's appealing to like a little boy of 6 or 7 or something like that. To the extent that Callum uh, had a pair of Roy Orbison specs, which he would insist on wearing (laughs) while he played his guitar. So, you know, we tend to forget, because, because time and age and distance and all the rest of it, we tend to think that the rock and roll of the 50s and the early 60s is only the the property of old men. Yeah. And it it isn't because they were, at that time, the screaming teenagers of their day. Mm. And this, in its weird way, although it is by a man, you know, old, he's younger then than I am now. Yeah. But, you know, a mature man, it's still something in it channels back. I I genuinely love this record. It's one of my favourites, and I do play it a lot. Yeah. Because it's... Most pop songs are about the pain and misery of love or the longing of love. This is about the the glory of love and, and, and how it elevates you and makes you into a bigger person and a better person. I love it to bits.
0: It's fabulous. It really
1: is. And again, it's got that wonderful big 80s production as well. And also, because I'm cheating, I'm listening to it again in my other ear, it's also <laughs> got a fantastic ending where... The, yes. The, the ending is teased out. Yeah. Oh the ending, and you, I always have a preference for pop records that end. I don't like a fade out. Yeah. I like a record that ends with a flourish and a fist on the table and, a, and it looks in your eyes and it finishes. And that's what this It does, it
0: absolutely does.
1: With the title, You Got It.
0: And it then segs very nicely into a very very 1989
1: record. Fine Young Cannibals. She drives me crazy. Again, another. I absolutely love this one to bits. This this to me. This is the soundtrack of us in all sitting around my front room in April and uh, May of that year, playing the living daylights out of the roar and the cooked mm. and or getting drunk with various chums. It is incredibly 1989, produced by David Zedd from Princess Band. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, because I was when this came out, I was like, bloody hell, is that what they sound like? Because the first one, Young Cannibals album, is extremely uh, real instruments, hmm. lots of real guitars and real drums. And then this thing comes out with Paisley Park, mega thwack. It's like a, it's like a Wendy and Lisa record, but more so. Roland Gift, what happened? I don't it know. It was like... Just the, such a great voice. Um, and you would have thought if they, you know, if they play their cards right, they should have been the biggest thing of the 90s. They should have dominated because they clearly, I mean, I was, I love to the beat. Um, Andy Cox and David Steele absolutely loved them. They were, I was in the fan club. They were the first band I ever went to see. Couldn't be, couldn't believe anything was allowed to be so loud, actually, uh, at the Royal Court in Liverpool on the Wappen Tour. And I had assumed that it was um, Dave Wakeling and the late Rankin Roger that were the thoughts and energy and ideas powerhouse. And it turns out there were a load of powerhouses in the beat when Finding mm. Animals came out. I couldn't believe how brilliant they were. A little bit disappointed by the general public, although I did buy the T-shirt. Um, and this whole album is... This album is a compilation, isn't it? There's only about two tracks that weren't singles. It's a fabulous album, and
0: I went back not, not too long ago, to listened to it, it still 100% stands up. It's brilliant
1: pop. It is, it is. It's, it's incredible, and uh, they seem to have such vast ambition and really were ready to go, and then just stopped. Yeah. I don't get it. And I don't know why. Who knows? Know. My mum was very fond of Roland Gift. Oh, he's I, good, isn't he? I think there oh, was lots the of
0: lots of mums were very, very fond <laughs> of Rolling Gift. I think, to be honest. Um, yes, he was. He was That's quite fun. easy on the eye. So handsome fella. Uh, next up, we have an excess it's fair to say, hitting a stride with the Kick album. And
1: uh, yes. It's Need You Tonight. It's just fabulous. It's inc- yeah. it's it, fantastic. I mean, I'm not not especially a fan because I find the kind of uh, Jim Morrison with 80s production, um, Hairsuit Sex God routine, a bit like, yeah, it's not speaking to me. Um, but this is a proper pop Lothario performance. Um, Shudder to think what well, the hits made of it, um, but... Uh, <laughs> No, it, it it's it is indisputably their best song, and so strange as well. So it's again very much born under the star of Prince. You can see they've been pouring over Prince records. This also, by the way, this was at this, this. When did "Sign of the Times" come out? It was it summer '89 or was it summer '88? Uh, it was '87, I think. Actually, "Sign of the Times." Because I remember, I remember when that came out. It was like. He's made a record with no reverb of any kind on it. He's sold all of his echoes. Everything sounds like it's made in a telephone box. And it upended everything. When his previous records, you know, he'd been making the colossal drum mountain thwackery Mm -hmm. of uh, World of, um, you know, When Doves Cry and then 1999. And then suddenly it's like, it's almost Prince Carlos Lo-Fi, and everybody else had to scramble around to deal with it. And some people just went in. In, in some respect, as Fanyan Cannibals did, you know what? We, we, we liked him the way he was. We're going to have a bit of that. <laughs> and in excess, what, what, what do we do about this? Do, can we go minimal? Can we go micro sex minimal? Says you can. Yeah, because again, there. I mean,
0: it's that drum sound gated within an inch of its life. There's not a single bit of reverb. You'd almost feel yeah. the breathlessness of the whole track. Yeah, you did. Good. You do. Um, yeah, no. Um, interestingly, uh, Andrew Farris, who's obviously the guitarist with that big riff at the beginning, seemingly the riff came to him while he was in a cab in Hong Kong. And he, <laughs> he stopped the cab, got out, went into a motel so he could record it onto whatever he had, probably a Walkman or something like that. Failed to tell the um, cab driver Who kept the metre running And was very, very unhappy An hour later
1: Probably did quite well off that He should have had some points on the record Maybe the lack of equipment uh, Accounts for the extremely lo-fi vibe
0: Maybe that's what it is Next up, we've got the beauty Of what the Now albums do For the Democracy (laughs) of the UK charts Because we go from The David Z production Of the Fine Young Cannibals To the gated 89 sound of In Excess To Status Quo
1: (laughs) This is just a ghastly record. It, it's it's absolutely I've not got anything against the quo. Um, you know, nice bunch of others. They have made some fantastic records. This is just your worst office party imaginable. Burning bridges on and off and on again Yeah. what, what were they thinking um, I mean I suppose you can't say all the records sound the same because it certainly doesn't sound like rocking all over the world does it although <laughs> there is an element of that sort of strange back and forth but it's got a vile kind of uh, a vile jollity to it and loads of Celticness and it's just none of it works none of it works and, and again Spotify gives you the um, the record cover of the album Ain't Complaining which is them appeared apparently trapped in a stock room glaring at each other The only stupid idea was this. I like in care. It's well, but it's also you're a Liverpool fan. (laughs) This is basically come on, you Reds. I'm not even going there. I'm not even going
0: there. (laughs) (laughs) I just a note here for the sleeve notes inside the now album, right? which, Which is just fabulous. Here it says, reckoned to be about their 37th top 40 hit. Can
1: that be any more vague? It's very hard to be more vague than that. <laughs> I, I, would, I would like to think this is being airbrushed out of history.
0: I think it probably mm-hmm. is. So moving swiftly on, we go to a yeah. big smash hit's favourite, Mark Shaw, then Jericho, on their back, back, back comeback with yes. um,
1: Big Area. Yeah. I've got to say, they never made that much of an impression on me. It, was, it felt like music from past time attempting to elbow itself into the present. I mean, it's basically... Where the streets have no name, with a whole load more synthesizers and electronic percussion, isn't it? Yeah, it. You know, he wants to run, he wants to hide, he wants to tear off the whatever that's held him outside. Um, there's quite a lot of people wanted a bit of that big rock thing at the time, and and who could blame them? I mean, and it was a huge hit, and therefore, you know, you can't argue with um, can't argue with democracy, can you? But it, it to me, it's not only kind of unmoving and uninvolving, it's just kind of irrelevant. Yeah. Why would you do this? Yeah. Unless I have a huge big hit, that's why I'm not in the music business. But you no, know, <laughs> it's like not doing anything that hasn't been done to bits, really. Looking back
0: over this track list of Now 14, though, it's a bit dated sounding now. It's not one, I mean, it's a bit clunky, and it's it's not looking forward, is it? No, it's not. It's, it's it, yeah,
1: it's exceptionally uninteresting, I'm afraid. So moving on, Morrissey. Um, All right. Well, it's <laughs> so when he was good. Um, yeah. Well, trying to think about it in the context of the time, this was the kind of last... This was the end of Morrissey being unimpeachably good. Mm. Uh, is this? Was this preceded by Interesting Drug? It was, wasn't it?
0: Um, I can't remember now. It was round about there, I think. Yeah.
1: Interesting Drug is the first not-very-good Morrissey solo single. <laughs> and then we're into... Piccadilly Polari and Ouija board and it's, it all goes terribly bad for a long time and it's not until about 1994 when he hooks up with them, Mick Ronson yeah. that he kind of gets good again. But then of course Morrissey is so mired in everything that Morrissey's done since that you just sort of, I, I found myself not wanting to think about it. This and First of the Gang to Die were the Morrissey records that got played a ducky. The mm. great uh, LGBTQI pop club at the Royal Vauxhall Tavern—they've just done their very last night last week—and that's a that's a pop proving ground. If you, if you you know if it can get played there, then it's officially a good record because the crowd doesn't take any messing. But it's this—you know—it was it was the last one when it had a really great animating idea behind it as well for a very long time. This is a, this is a, about the craze, isn't it? Yeah. But,
0: yeah. So actually, just when you mentioned Ducky, big shout out to DJ Mark Wood because um, if we're talking about other people stealing one of your favourite now albums, he had now 11. Of course he bloody did. Of course he (laughs) would. And he talked very, very animatedly about uh, about
1: Bomb the base. but there we go. So, Well, basically, Ducky would... You constructed a viable Ducky on Now's 10, 11, and 12, and nobody would complain. Yeah, Exactly. So there we go. Right, OK, so uh, we're sliding towards the end of side two. Well, first
0: of all, Poison. Shout out to Justin Quirk, um, who likes... He does like his glam metal, although I think even he would... I don't know why he would say that every rose has its thorn. Um, he
1: would prob- he'd probably make some kind of excuse for it. <laughs> uh, I I'd, I'd lack the equipment to say if this is a good version of this kind of music or not. Yeah. Freak, freak-haired poodle ballad.
0: Well, here's a nice quote. Jerry Smith, in Music Week, described the song as overwrought ballad, but it makes a change from ponderous metal posturing.
1: yeah. I, yeah. I, history, I would. Be honest, I would but, yeah. rather
0: have. Yeah, I'd rather have that as well. Um, Christmas number one in America, 1988. Ew. Who can who can fathom those people? Not me. Indeed. And right, so I think we mentioned Trevor Horn earlier on. However, this is Trevor Horn yeah. and a slightly different
1: Trevor Horn, uh, the producer of Belfast Child uh, by Simple Minds. Yeah, I mean, I would usually buy anything with Trevor Horn written on it, but I mean, this. No, no, no. I'm not <laughs> having it. I'm not having it. Um, <laughs> and also, this is this is the minds uh, really having gone as far from I travel and the American as they can possibly get. Yeah. This is, and I'm not saying people shouldn't write songs about this topic, but shouldn't they write them like Alternative Ulster instead? <laughs> other than... <laughs> and, 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 and the minute this, this stops playing, I defy you to be able to hum it or sing it. It's tune-free. Yeah, it's it
0: was just... I'd love Trevor Horn to have Trevor Horn arised this track <laughs> if he turned it into propaganda.
1: Oh yeah. oh yeah, or left to my own devices or something. It would have been you brilliant. Yeah. Like, well, if Trevor Horn had got his hands on the simple minds of the American or I travel, then you know you or theme from great cities. Imagine that. Oh, wow. But this is come on, lads, get over live aid. Stop thinking about it. The album that it comes from as well,
0: Street Fighting Years, which I am going to say Q gave a five out of five review for. Oh look at me. I wasn't there. I was still a bloody student at the time. Yeah, no, I know, I um, know. I'm not going to blame you for everything that happened in Q99, but it is the most, what was it, ponderous posturing. Uh,
1: it's just incredibly tiring album. It really is. Yeah, and the worst of it is, this, this track, it is about a thing that is important and mm. therefore you feel bad about criticising
0: it I know and I love Jim Kerr I think he's brilliant I've heard him talk about it he was on um, he was on the Rock on Tours podcast not too long ago yeah that's a very good podcast it's a very very good yeah. podcast but Jim was yeah. on there and he was talking about this and I mean I get it you know and coming from the west of Scotland myself I get it you know we saw yeah. a lot of that but oh, do you know what yeah alternative Ulster any day of the week <laughs>
1: Let's move on quickly to Buffalo Stance "Nina Cherry. Here I we mean, go. F- from the sublime to just the brilliant. Um, yeah, Buffalo yeah. Stance. What a it's track. Just one of the greatest records ever made. One of the greatest things that's ever existed in the history of things. <laughs> just bloody brilliant in every respect. And she's unlike anything else that's materialized in the pop charts. It's. Funny, it's clever. What's he like? What's he like? He's a gigolo, man. It's like there's a weird kind of n- not quite realised version of this that came out beforehand. Yes, called chilling out with a wild bunch or hanging tough with a wild bunch by Cameron McVeigh, and it popped up on my phone a while ago. And I was like, "What the hell is this?" And it was the it was the work in progress. That's quite yeah. fascinating. But what what more can be said about this apart from I mean, if you don't like this, you don't like liking things. You know, to this day, I
0: haven't met anybody that's ever said. A, I don't like Buffalo Stance. B, like, I'm not so sure about it. It's okay. It's brilliant in every sense of the word. And, it, you know, I would I would disown family members if they said to me, actually, I'm not too impressed with Buffalo Stance.
1: Well, we're on a good run now, aren't we? Because the next track is oh. Good Life by Inner City. I know. Which is the perfect congruence and confluence of, you know, house music and pop and techno and a fantastic rhythm and Paris Grey. Is it Paris? It's Paris Grey, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the mad thing is, at a distance, you can hear, you know, those kind of really meaty house drums. I think it's, is it a, is it a 909 or an 808 drum? I don't know what it is, but it's really kind of gritty and punchy, but human-sized, unlike the, the mega-thwack of the gated mega snare. You can hear all that and the, that kind of little kind of echoey keyboard trip that they do which is everything a shimmer to it. And Kevin Saunderson's approach to percussion and, and particularly the hi-hat symbol, I'm getting really boring now, aren't I? <laughs> hi-hat the Detroit techno hi-hat symbol, which plays patterns that a normal drummer wouldn't play. And at a distance, you can hear how all that stuff is in Stock Aitken Waterman as well. Stock Aitken and Waterman had a copy of techno, the new sound of Detroit. I swear to God, they must have done it because it pinched all this. Yeah. And Good Life is... Both a straight down the line, fully authentic Detroit Techno record and a fantastic Kylie record in the wings waiting to be done. She could have done this, you know, it would have worked perfectly well. Oh, it's perfect. I'm just I'm just I'm just imagining that it's perfect. Between between this and big fun, although this is marginally the better song, I think. Um You've got one of the great diptychs of pop.
0: Perfect. Because it is Detroit house and Detroit techno,
1: but it sits as a perfect pop track in the UK charts as well. That's why I chose this time, although I couldn't, get, get, couldn't get quite get the one I wanted, because that's what's happening. The stuff that's cool and that Stuart Cosgrove has brought back from Chicago in 1987 for the NMA mm. or whatever has become pop music. And I love it when things that are weird from the fringes become huge. I don't like saying, "Ooh, I like this. You're not allowed to. Ooh, I've got my cool thing. You can't have it. Partly because I'm 55 and talking about cool and you're 55 is pathetic and laughable. <laughs> Even when I was a kid, I liked the things that I liked to be popular. And this was a great moment when the thing that I'd loved that, you know, House Music was one of those things where a light bulb went off in my head, a bit like Madness. First time I heard Madness, I was like, this is stupid. It doesn't make any sense. It's like they're at a fairground. One minute later, it's my favourite band and I, yeah. you know I've loved them ever since. And with House Music as well, it was like, how is this? It doesn't really make any sense. It's like They've made it on really cheap machines and it doesn't seem to make any sense. And a minute later, it's like, I just I want to buy all the records. Um, and I went off and just spent all my student grants on house music. Do you know,
0: I can remember around right about probably the middle of 88 hearing Baby Ford for the first time. And it's yeah. exactly what you've just described. It was that... I cannot work out if this is the worst record I've ever heard or the best record. And the second time I heard it, I knew it was the best record. And it was just that, you know, this doesn't sound
1: like anything else. You're right. It doesn't. And, you know, people who don't know what they're talking about go, oh, you know, or used to. Nobody really says it anymore. Used to go, oh, you know, synthesizers, they all sound the same, don't they? Not proper music. You can absolutely, the character in this record, it's inimitable. Literally, hmm. as well. nobody else has ever sounded like this. And it's not to do with the technology, although Kevin Saunderson is a master of it. It's to do with his melodic sense and Paris' melodic, melodic sense. They are a proper group.
0: Yeah, six to months ahead from this. Everything sounds like this.
1: Yes, 1990, time for the guru. But they can't get it quite right. It doesn't sound quite exactly like Inner City.
0: No. This
1: album, by the way, Paradise is a boss album. Really, really good album. Oh, that yeah. That was the summer of 1989. That was just, we just played the living crap out of it. Yeah. OK, so next to
0: that, Mark Moore, S-Express. Yeah. Yeah. It's wonderful. Key music lover. This to me is fantastic, this song.
1: They were on an incredible run as well because it's its not just theme from S-Express. It's this, it's mantra for a state of mind. Yeah. There are moments when people just connect to the thing that's going to make them amazing and that had happened with that expressing them at that time were they doing it with pascal gabriel wasn't he there yeah
0: <laughs> it was pascal gabriel um as well and i would urge anybody listening uh to this go back right now stop press pause go back and find the video for hey music lover on youtube yeah. and it is incredible you've got billy ray martin in there <laughs> um it is just incredible and eric robinson is the other vocalist on there just such a brilliant fun video to watch
1: yeah they, i mean I think there's an incredibly underrated S-Express. And I saw another band. One day when I find a time machine, I'm going to go back and I'm going to make myself the manager of Fine Young Cannibals, <laughs> S-Express, and a few other bands. who They've just had some good advice in the likes of me. Electride 101, that's another one. Yes. I would to play Propaganda Stay Together. I would have got, got them all. All these groups should have been absolutely massively huge instead of like, just they slightly missed it. It was just like slightly wide, hit the post.
0: There's a Philip Glass remix of this track, which I haven't heard. Yeah. Yeah. And also just of note, the spelling of S Express um, is S apostrophe X. And they did that so that when DJs asked them, why did you drop the E? Hey, there fantastic you go. fantastic and that is proper props to mark moore for that one there we go now this is great because like i love this we've had three really big proper banging dance tracks here we've had cherry inner city essex express and then there's a track called blow the house down which you think is going to be a proper big massive on the dance floor track and it's
1: not it's living in a box and it's rubbish it's really living in a box it's living really in a cardboard box probably where they are now it, yeah, it's terrible. It's shocking, and it's got tru- it's got synthesized trumpets on it. Very bad synthesized trumpets. And it's it's Clark Datchler, wasn't it? Clark Datchler. No, box. no, that's Johnny Hayes Jazz. That's the other one. Ah, oh, right. Thanks. I failed my pop o level. It, it was, in,
0: was a singer called Richard Derbyshire.
1: That's it, Richard Derbyshire.
0: Who, was, uh, in his spare time, would sell you insurance as well?
1: <laughs> I was going to say presenting morning TV.
0: <laughs> Although. Um, according to Wikipedia, he's now an ex member of Living in a Box. He's no longer Living in a Box, Richard Derbyshire. According to Wikipedia, it's now Kenny Thomas. Kenny Thomas? As in Kenny Thomas, unless there's another Kenny Thomas. I don't know. I've got a lot of Kenny Thomas's. I've got to be, surely got to go. Yeah, there must be, but but there we go. I actually I have nothing to say about this. Again, we'll invoke the we'll invoke the words of the hits or the language of the hits, it's a very, very horrible record. They weren't even dumper bound. They had more hits in them. They had a horrible big ballad at the end of the year called
1: Room in Your Heart, which is completely forgettable. So oh. it's very property based, isn't it? You know, room in your heart Blow the house <laughs> Living in a box Very Thatcher Taylor Very right to buy You know yeah. very-
0: If they'd called the album Compact but Bijou They might have had a bit of a laugh But yeah anyway. Yeah. Move, moving on um, Right So this is Promised Land The big Joe Smooth track We now all know As done by the Style Council From the infamous Rejected album Yeah And it, you can understand Paul Weller's Complete dismay at the record company
1: I think it, I mean It's a pretty decent version Yeah The best songs Are very hard to do A bad version of Some people mm. can do it Certain people are very able to do it But <laughs> yeah, it's, it's an absolutely fine version Of one of the You know The great house music Edifices um, And as It's basically a soul guy always mm. has been And house music is soul music And it's not as good as Joe Smooth's version, but Joe Smooth's version has that kind of amazing element of discovery to it. Again, it's, it's nobody's favourite house record, nobody's favourite Paul Weller record. <laughs> if, like me, you prefer the Style Council to the jam, then this one. Uh, my favourite incarnation of Paul Weller is present-day Paul Weller because he is brave and ridiculous and the music's fantastic. My second favourite incarnation of Paul Weller is Style Council Paul Weller. John Paul Weller's okay. My least favorite incarnation is early solo Paul Weller, mm. which I think John Savage referred to it as the Neil's heavy concept album years, <laughs> when it was very much like I want to sound like Traffic and like I want you to sound like Joe Smooth. Yeah. So, but look, I mean, the, the, the really great musicians like Johnny Marr, who I love, they try so many different things that you can't like all of it. You know, yeah. a, I love Mariah, but I can't get on with the healers.
0: That's fine. I know, you know. I know. See, I think for me, it's an age thing because I was too young for the Jam. The Jam were like kind of school discos and stuff. But I grew into the Style Council, and I actually would probably much happier listening to that. To be honest, so totally with you on that.
1: Style Council, very remain, very yes. Europhile. Right. So next up, we've got we've got Respect uh, by a Diva, which is a great record. I'm mean, I'm saying very boring things at the moment. It's a, it's a, it is a compilation of the best records around. So I should probably stop saying that's a great record, <laughs> shouldn't I? <laughs> Interesting uh, fact: all three of A Divas hits
0: all got to number seventeen in the charts. Which, which actually is a prime number. It, it, is a, it is a prime number, and actually, is is Travis' that this that. song
1: only got to number? Were there really sixteen better songs in the chart that week? I doubt it. Probably not, um, but one of them was probably living in a box. Um, that beautiful, the beautiful, clear, clean mm. pop house of the time, um, yeah. which obviously it's, it's garage, isn't it, basically? It is garage rather than yeah. house. Yeah. It's got that sort of uh, super soul vibe. Really great. Just, yeah, really, really great. And we really are now into the realm of uh, me out on a Friday night in Leeds because Wild Thing by Tone Loke. I know. A record you probably couldn't put out now for reasons of problematicness, but it's great. Well, if you couldn't put that
0: out, you definitely couldn't put Funky Cold Medina out anymore. No, you
1: certainly couldn't. You must be sure that the girl is pure for the Funky Cold med- No, 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 you couldn't do that. No. And it also has, has some tr- has some troublesome gender politics of other kinds in there as well, but we'll, <laughs> we'll just file it in the past, will we? Wild Thing is great. Um, yeah. And, and actually, the, everything off this album is great. cut After Dark was the album, wasn't it? That yeah. delicious final sound was subsequently... Yeah. The Beastie Boys really had a load off, didn't they? In on Paul's Boutique. Same produces Matt Dyke and the other fella, um, and it was just seemed like a really different way of doing hip hop. You know, the drums came from places that you were not expecting them to come from, and it wasn't the same old samples. And it was kind of full of air and space and very ramshackle, and yet really, really tune filled. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, I mean, it's this funky, Cold Medina, wild thing, and. He had a tune called, uh, which wasn't a big hit, called "Principal's Office," which is pretty good. And there's the a remix of that that pinched the line from Hercules, was amazing. Yeah. Um, we're very much off the banger bus now, aren't we? Because it's naturally called "I Live for Your Love." Yeah, can't, uh, can't remember this one. Uh, I have to see listening to it now, and I still can't remember it. No. Nope. Yeah, again, we're, th- this stuff feels like the past. It's again, it is those. I don't know what synthesizer it is. I think it might be a DX7, one of those old ones that kind of, <laughs> it has that just big pads that just go, oh no, we're going to have a song about somebody's been left on the own on Friday night. Um, unexciting.
0: So we flip over, we're on the last side, record two, side two, and we have got a big Coke song from Robin Beck, first time.
1: Yeah, this is a strange one to start your final side with, isn't it? Because, I I mean, who who was Robin Beck? No idea. And never heard of again, I believe. This is the kind of record that has... It's a a sad record that has sympathetic rim shots on the drums because hitting the snare would be too tasteless. So you just (laughs) click away, waiting for the big soaring chorus to come in and everybody again to, uh, you know to light their cigarette lighters and wave them around in the stadium. Um, completely forgettable. Oh, God, I, I, I am cheating, again, listening to this one, to remind myself what it's like. I we mean, just hit the horrible, horrible guitar solo. Yeah. So I think draw a tasteful veil over this one. Yeah. Now, we'll next up ra- that, we
0: have got Paula Abdul, not being a choreographer and a dancer, but having her first big hit. She had six number ones in America in a row. Hmm. Anyway, straight up,
1: it's better than Robin Beck. It's better than Robert Beck And also, it's one of the only representatives on this record of the, I think, then on the fade, swing beat vibe. Yes. Uh, preceding the more serious, because done by men, New Jack Swing. Swing beat was great. I mean, this you're sort of looking at the kind of bleed out of Janet Jackson's Control album, aren't you? Mm. When producers like Jam and Lewis had realised that you could make drum machines do things human drummers absolutely couldn't do. But this passes the test of... If you, you know, the minute you mentioned this tune, um, I am singing it in my head yeah. after 33 years. It's had something
0: like, four, well, 40 million YouTube views, so it's still hitting somebody's radar.
1: Before she teamed up with MC Scat Cat.
0: MC Scat Cat was still just a kitten. At this You've point, got the uh, unfortunate name MC Scat Cat, yeah. No, it's yeah, because you mentioned Janet Jackson and you know, uh, Rhythm Nation was a big, big, big album, 89 yeah. as well, but missing in action here on this album. But we've got Paul Abdul kind of doing a version of it, which is not too bad.
1: Yeah, this is a, a corker,
0: definitely. Now, not being a corker is Samantha Fox. I only
1: want to be with you. Who produced this? Or oh, who do you think? Traverse? Was it Stock Aching Waterman? It was Stock Aiken Waterman, yeah. Because it, it actually even sound, it, it, they even sound like they're doing a crap impersonation of themselves here. It really is by numbers. So this is it is. I only want to be with you. It is the song you think it is, and delivered in the the most musically shrill and annoying manner possible. Sam's exceedingly limited vocals have been multi-tracked so many times that she just sounds like every other Stock Aiken Waterman person. I mean, I do love a bit of Stock Aching Waterman at their best. This is not them at their best. No. I think I, I get the impression that Pete Waterman just had I only want to be with you written on a post-it note stuck to his shaving mirror <laughs> or something. I was like, we're going to give it to somebody. Who are we going to give it to? Donna Summer says she's absolutely not doing it. The Reynolds girls don't want it. Who's left from neighbours? No, they don't want to do it either. Dead or alive laughed at me. So it ends up going to Sam. It's like Stock the Bottom in the lunch break, basically. However, the fourth time this song's graced the chart, so you got Dusty. Who's next? Oh, after Dusty. Yeah. God, did I mean those in the days when somebody released a cover version a week later? Was it Silla?
0: No, no. You need to fast forward to seventy six and late, late on period. Basic Rollers did it. Um, oh God, yeah. yeah. And then we've got wow. the Tourists in seventy nine with Annie Lennox, yes, which is yes. which, which is really good. Yeah. And if they just stopped there, that would have been fine.
1: This is the least Dusty version of a Dusty tune. I can imagine it's just, it is antithetical, isn't it? You know, if, if Dusty had heard this, it would have. Finished her off, I think. Quite well, the thing is, from... right,
0: Dusty was out and about at this point because Dusty was was back with the Pet Shop Boys and Dusty was doing the song from Scandal and stuff like that. Yeah. I don't know if it happened, but I would like to think in my head that Dusty met Sam Fox backstage and had a proper bus stop with her to say, how dare you?
1: Or possibly what happened was Dusty was just like... Living a leisurely life, thinking that no, no, I've done the pop music. And then this comes on the radio, and she goes, Don't you dare, you get the patch up, boys. And this is the you know, that's where we uh, get in private. They only produce half it, don't they? Yeah, yeah. The song in private is incredible. Have you, however, heard Elton John's version of it? I have. It's- Hard work. I mean, I I love the Punch up Boys more than life itself, but that's quite hard work. That version It is it is indeed yes. Moving on, we're in a kind of
0: swampy area of side four. <laughs> this is the dumper of the album, isn't it? Yeah, with the exception of one track, we'll come to that shortly. I think right. So we've got Brother Beyond first, uh, having finished their tenure with with Stock Aitken Waterman,
1: and it shows uh, with a track called "Be My Twin." You know what they sound like here? They sound like Bloody Hue and Cry. They just sound like the band of that time. They sound like that sound. It's like bass level, kind of minimum viable sound, like the bad Danny Wilson records, probably Living in a Box as well. And what was the other one? Johnny H. Jazz. They They're all big. had this. It, we're back to the three inch cheapy CD box.
0: Yeah, this actually probably went straight into that box. I, th- I think this had the 99p sticker straight across it.
1: Probably um, <laughs> printed <laughs> only 99p on the cover. Save <laughs> money on stickers.
0: This sits next to another track, which is proper 1988 Hangover, which is Claymie Fisher, which again, I have no recollection of the song whatsoever. Love Like a River.
1: Me neither. Um, I, I, it's, it, it's passed me by completely. Um You know, don't all eras need to just have their kind of filler? They need to have their pop grout. Between the actual tiles, there has to be some pop grout. And I suppose it's kind of indicative that at any time that people will buy things if they encounter them in the right places.
0: Number 18 in Austria. There we go. Um,
1: (laughs) But then, out of the ashes,
0: jumps Duran Duran, with a track that I am more than happy to admit is an absolute banger. All she wants is... This
1: is Duran Duran do cameo. Swears? It? I never thought of that. It's basically them doing Word Up, a little bit behind the ball, because Cameo was, like, 86, 85, wasn't it? And this kind of... While one might not wish to picture uh, Simon in a crimson codpiece, stalking <laughs> around like Larry Blackmon, uh, that's the kind of vibe they're going for. It's not a bad tune. It's just, just, I think it's quite out of date. Um, I'm surprised. You can probably tell me this. What is the Duran Duran track doing at number 30 in the the running order? Because I know that certain bands, like Queen, if they ever did a compilation, they had to be track one. And and Madonna wouldn't do compilations at all. No,
0: there's a whole story that basically Queen's management said, we must be track one, side one, or we must be a prominent, you know, like, the last track on the album, or something like that. I, I don't know. I think by this point, Duran Duran had ran out of coupons. I think, um, and had and had maybe moved on because it. Well, I mean, it got to number nine in the charts, so it's you know, it's all right. It's okay. And then again, in the
1: uh, the realms of totally forgotten tracks, is Tracy by Level Forty Two. The thing is, I always thought I mean I always quite liked Level Forty Two. Mm. You know, you know, yeah. Chinese way, um, Hot Water. When Mark Mark King made the amazingly brave move of abandoning his uh, trademark flapping thumb bass style <laughs> for a chugging synthesized bass line, and it's like, yeah, it's good. This I saw at the role course in Liverpool. It was surprisingly enjoyable. I was the only one in there didn't have a muzzy. It was very much, you know, the soul boys of the Northwest's night out. And <laughs> something fell off a balcony in the Royal Court. so I don't know why. Anyway, um, but this, again, nobody, nobody's favourite Level 42 song, least of all Level 42. No, it's not. Um, they haven't moved on, have they? Surprising that, because, you know, they are basically uh, Soul the band, aren't they? You mm. would have thought mm-hmm. that, like Weller, they would have connected with the things that were in the air. I would have probably tried to make, possibly slightly ham-fisted but still well-intentioned, house record. That's where it leads. And they just hadn't followed it. Sorry. My time-travelling management company will be giving them good advice as well. <laughs> yeah. What was yeah. what was Smash Hits'
0: name for Mark King? He wasn't Thumbs uh, Aloft, because that was Macca. But there was, was that a thumb?
1: Yeah. <sighs> it wasn't Mark, unpronounceable surname, because that was in from Big, Big Country. country. Yeah. Uh, and... Oh, I don't know. Was it Mark... Mark Interesting King, I think It be, might have know, been Mark Interesting of. King, actually. Like, yeah. Um, mm. Andrew Collins used to have a, a joke on Select about uh, the jazz funk supply teacher <laughs> saying, make as much noise as you like. I've got a lot of Mark King I could get on with. So, you know. And on that note, <laughs> yeah. good evening, Andrew, if you're listening. Love changes everything. Michael
0: Ball, a big fan a big Andrew Lloyd Webber flourish to finish off a new album.
1: It's like saying at the end of this, uh, you know, 32-track extravaganza, you might as well stand up and say, we repudiate everything that has gone before. We think it's all rubbish and meaningless because here's proper music. And this 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 ghastly wedding cake of, of, of kitsch tripe, um, yeah, I'm not a fan of this. OK, as we were talking about earlier, it's a time when the charts had to have something for, you know... The Mums and the Dads, and um, this was definitely the thing that filled that slot. Although, to be fair, where else would, you know, I suppose you could put it at the end of Side 3 or something, hide mm. it away somewhere unobtrusive. But then you can't finish this album with um, Yaz's reggae tune, can you? You've got to no. finish it with something big.
0: If you think about it, we started off with a huge, big ballad that works really well with Mark Almond and Gene Pitney. We finished with this at the end. So two different bookends, I suppose. Yeah, I, I never want to hear the song ever again. And on that note, I think I know what you would probably pick, but if you were going to salvage a couple of tracks off this to to really capture Now 14, what would they be?
1: I think it's got, it's got to be from the grand crossover of, of pop and house music, so it's could, it's probably Inner City or S-Express or, prob, or Buffalo Stance, actually. I think it's got to be Inner City because it represents, it's that turning point. It's when music became something else. And which is why this is an interesting record, because it's got some things that are one side of the Berlin Wall and some things that are the other side of the Berlin Wall. Yeah, quite fascinating. Andrew, thank you so much for
0: joining us here on the Back to Now podcast and uh, re-exploring this cuspy
1: year of, yeah, of 1989. Well, thank you for, uh, and let's, let's not forget, mate, the Berlin Wall came down in 1989, mate. In many respects, the Pop Wall came down too. <laughs> uh yeah, no, it's dead interesting actually. I mean, I'd like this. You know, not to sort of torture a metaphor a little bit, but I was doing my politics course in the middle of of the the kind of protests in um, in Germany, and they wanted, when the Berlin Wall fell down, they messaged us all in our pigeonholes and said, "Come in tomorrow for a special session." And we sat down, and they literally said, "Right, forget everything we've taught you for the past year. It's all irrelevant." Communism has finished and over. So you might as well just get rid of those bits of your notes. So we said we've learned it or now forget it, it's all over. So that's a little bit like, I would argue, Inner City and S Express turning up and showing Poison and Michael Bull that they are part of uh, Pop's forgotten pact and should remain. And should remain so.
0: Andrew, thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you to Andrew Harrison for heading back to Now 14. If you have enjoyed this pop excursion, check out the episodes for 1988 with Mark Wood, Jude Rogers, and Pete Pafidis. Also, catch up with Andrew's fellow Podmaster hosts, Shan Pattenden and Justin Quirk, as they revisit Now 16 and 10. Pop memories and anecdotes are plenty. This has been Back to Now 14. Please subscribe, like, and comment at your podcast place of choice. And join me, Ian, again very soon.